Hi, I'm Levi from WCF. Before we get into this episode of Faith Foundations, I wanted to take a quick minute to introduce a few other podcasts in the WCF Podcast Network. I am a co-host on a show called A Little Faith, where we explore faith breakdowns and buildups with different people who have very powerful stories to tell. Sam Taylor from Cleveland, Ohio, produces weekly devotionals in Pause to Consider. Think Mr. Rogers meets Fireside Chat. I love Sam's humble style, and I think every episode is fantastic. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at wcfoundation.org podcasts. Also, did you know that WCF sponsors thousands of meals a month for children in India who are unable to afford any food? Please visit wcfoundation.org for more info and donate if you can. Now, here's the show. The subject of this talk is the resurrection of Jesus. Did Jesus rise from the dead? The importance of the question can hardly be overstated. If it didn't happen, Jesus was merely a very good man, one who made a very great impression on his disciples, who was killed by his own people, and there's the end of the story. If this were the end of the story, there's nothing supernatural in the life of Jesus. However, if the resurrection did happen, Jesus is different from other great teachers. The resurrection stamps his message as unique because it stamps Jesus with the approval of God. In the Bible, in the book of Romans, we read that Jesus was called the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, the writer Paul says that Jesus is proven to be the Son of God with power by the fact that he rose from the dead. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. At the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples that his death is coming. He states that they'll desert him, they'll deny him. During the meal, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, goes to the priest and informs them where Jesus can be arrested. Later in the evening, that Judas leads an arresting party to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives where Jesus is now with his disciples. Judas and the men from the high priests come to the garden, and the arrest takes place. His disciples forsake him. Jesus is taken before Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest, for a sort of pre-trial. Later, at a trial by the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court, the chief priests and elders attempt to convict Jesus of a crime worthy of death. Finally, after it appears that the case may be lost, the high priest Caiaphas cross-examines Jesus, asking him to say under oath whether or not he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus answers with an emphatic yes. Upon receiving this answer, the high priest declares Jesus guilty and deserving of death. The next day, the whole council assembles in early dawn to ratify in daylight the verdict of the night before. Yes, he is guilty and should die. He is led to the Roman governor, Pilate, early in the morning for a Roman trial. It would appear, reading between the lines, that Pilate had previously been prepared to condemn the prisoner, perhaps by arrangement. But when he actually sees him, he has second thoughts. Several times he tries to release Jesus, 
Finally, he gives in to coercion from the priests and agrees to have Jesus crucified. Jesus is led to the hill of Golgotha, where he is crucified early in the morning. Within a number of hours, he is dead. The soldiers examined him to see if this is so. They thrust a spear in his side, and blood and water rush out. They decide he is dead. A rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish council, goes to Pilate and asks if he may have the body of Jesus. He takes the body, wraps it in a linen shroud, and puts it in his own tomb. The next day, the priests go to Pilate and ask for a guard on the tomb because there had been reports that Jesus had said that he would rise from the dead in three days. Soldiers are posted outside the tomb, and the tomb is sealed with an official seal. On the third day, women come early at dawn with spices. They are surprised that the stone is rolled back, the tomb is open, and angels appear, stating that Jesus has risen. The women rush to report the matter to others. Peter and John hurry to the tomb and enter in to see the empty linen shroud and the head napkin rolled up. Mary Magdalene, one of the disciples, actually sees Jesus, who calls her by name. These appearances are on the first day. Jesus later appears to the disciples many times. He eats with them. He talks with them. They touch him. He teaches them. He appears to them about a dozen times over a 40-day period. So much for the story. Let's look at some of the reasons for believing the story. First, it's consistency. If you were to put all of the Gospels together in a single, coherent account, you would find that they fit together with remarkable consistency. There's broad agreement on the details. There is the odd difference, however. But, in comparing some of the differences, we find hidden marks of truth. There is an interesting mark of truth comparing Matthew chapter 26 with the account in Luke. The Matthew account deals with the trial before the high priest. Reading from verse 46. What is your judgment? They answer, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? This account is obscure. Why would anyone say, Who is it that struck you? Why couldn't Jesus tell them who had struck him? He could see them. Why would Matthew report this? However, light is shown on this particular incident by Luke chapter 22, which reads, Now the men who were holding Jesus mocked him and beat him. They also blindfolded him and asked him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? Without the Gospel of Luke, we wouldn't realize that Jesus had been blindfolded. Therefore, it would be a real proof of supernatural ability to know who had struck him. The obscurity, therefore, in the Matthew account is actually a mark of truth. The question, who struck you, is not the sort of thing that one would have written unless the event had actually happened. It's an unconscious mark of truth. The second testimony to the resurrection is the broad witness of the Bible in general. Almost every book of the New Testament, which consists of 27 separate books, by direct statement or by implication, speaks to the resurrection of Jesus. 
In other words, there are many witnesses to this fact. This is illustrated by a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church, and I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, having appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This letter of Paul was accepted by the early church as an inspired writing. It was accepted by people who could check it. If you wanted to check what Paul had said, there were some 500 people who had been witnesses to the fact that Jesus had risen because they'd seen him afterward. This writing would never have been accepted by the early churches and as inspired scripture had these statements been in doubt. The third line of argument for the resurrection concerns the lives of the apostles. Only the resurrection of Jesus could explain the change which took place in these men. Do you remember how they were before the resurrection? They were confused. They believed that Jesus was to be their king, but their hopes were dashed by his crucifixion. They were afraid for their lives. Peter had said that if all others were to deny him, yet he would never forsake him. Yet Peter denied Jesus. Virtually all went into hiding. They were terribly discouraged and frightened. As one of his disciples said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Even when Jesus rose from the dead, they didn't believe it at first. One of his disciples, Thomas, said that unless he were to put his fingers in the very holes in his hand, he wouldn't believe. Within a very short time, a remarkable change occurred in the disciples. While prior to the resurrection they were fearful and indecisive, afterward they were bold and confident. They were convinced that Jesus had risen. They defied the priests of the temple and accused them of murdering the Messiah. Here is a real change. We see a confidence, a power. We see it in the letters of the New Testament. We see it in the Gospel writers. We see it with Peter and James. The conviction of these men to the fact of the resurrection was not momentary. It was for life. They thereafter devoted their lives to teaching others that Jesus had risen. They had seen him. According to tradition, all of the twelve apostles ended their lives in a violent death, or almost all. They died for what they believed. Many people have died for principle. But is it reasonable that these men would die if they did not believe that Jesus had risen? They claimed to have seen him and to have talked with him after his resurrection. Let's review. There are a number of arguments that the resurrection is factual. I've only suggested three. First, the story itself. It's clear and it's consistent. The more you read it, the more you believe in the resurrection. The second argument is the broad witness of the Bible. The New Testament is full of references to Jesus and to the fact that he is living in heaven waiting to return at the command of his Father. 
The third argument concerns the lives of his disciples. Here are men who turn from fearful and confused persons to courageous, determined men, insisting that Jesus, whom they served, was a living man having been raised from the dead. They insisted that they were first-hand witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. What conclusion do we come to? Either the resurrection of Jesus Christ is right or it's wrong. The whole building of Christianity is set on this foundation. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all Christianity crumbles like a house of cards. His disciples claimed that he had risen from the dead. This becomes a test of Christianity, and we can't be halfway. We must make up our mind. If we read the accounts, if we will place them together, if we will weigh them, if we will look at the case as a judge would look at evidence, if we do this, we'll be convinced that the resurrection is true. The resurrection of Jesus stamps him as the Son of God and gives everything that he said authority. The resurrection, once appreciated, should change a person's life, their values, their allegiance, and ultimately their character. Christ has been raised from the dead. Faith and reason combined to declare this fact. God, through Jesus, is calling us to recognize this fact, to recognize that Jesus is his Son. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a great proof demonstration which God has set before mankind. It is through a risen Jesus that he is calling us to both righteousness and to life.